Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode three of Sober Playground. Thank you, everyone who's listened to the first couple episodes of this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And today you get to hear from my rehab bestie, Rob. He's the kind fella who lent me his MP3 player and got me all fired up again about writing songs. And it wasn't his first rodeo in rehab, so he helped me understand the things going on, explained the pink cloud to me, and just explained everything going on at the ranch as a whole. It was nice to have somebody who had some answers and some experience. So, he was just overall very kind and cool to me. Oh, he also shot down the first dozen name ideas that I had for this podcast. And then whenever I wrote down Sober Playground, he gave me a nod and a wink. And so, thank you for that, Rob. Anyway, I'll let him share his story with you. Here's my good friend, Roboito, a.k.a. Rob from The Ranch. So my name is Robert. I've been sober since June 1st of this year. I guess I'll start at the beginning. Well, I started smoking marijuana whenever I was about eight years old. I had a pretty rough childhood. I had two sisters. They're the ones that kind of got me to start smoking weed whenever I was that young. My parents, well, my mom and my stepdad, they weren't too hard on them about smoking weed. Like they would get in trouble and whatnot, but it was just kind of a slap on the wrist. They were already older. They were like 15 and 16. So they were pretty gangster. You know, whatever punishment my parents gave to them, it just wouldn't stick. Like my sisters, they were rebels. So sneak out of the house and take off anyways or whatever. And I was living with my real dad. I would just go on the weekends whenever my mom got me. And that's whenever I would be getting high with my sisters. And uh, kind of fast forward, my biological father kept me from my mother for two years. After that, he beat me, never got to see my mom. And so one day uh, she came to the school. She said, Whenever you get home from school, I want you to pack up all your stuff. I want you to come out to the car and get in, and we're gonna go straight to my lawyer's office. Uh, You're gonna tell them everything your dad's done to you. I get home, and I go straight to my room. Well, my mom, she was standing in the doorway, and my dad said, what are you doing here? And called her some bad names, you know pulled out a pistol on her. You know, he never shot her, but she was like, I'm not afraid of you. So I seen a lot of traumatic things. I packed up all my stuff, got in the car. She took me to the lawyer's office. I told him everything. And well, by the time we had gotten to the lawyer's office, my biological father had already made it to his lawyer's office and signed his rights away. Fast forward a couple years later, uh, My stepdad wound up adopting me, and by that time, I was already pretty rebellious. I was about 13. 
by that time I was I was pretty much smoking weed all the time, drinking. Uh, they had moved me to from Big Spring, Texas, to Hobbs, New Mexico, <laughs> and I was going to school in Lovington. I mean, it's a real small school district. The kids there, they're they're really rowdy, man. And then I started drinking whenever I was about 15. Uh, I was a little skater, punk kid. So I made a group of friends, skater kids. We were all drinkers and smokers and uh, we'd skip school regularly. Um, I wound up getting a girl pregnant whenever I was about 15. Yeah, that, that was not good. My parents advised against it. And I was like, what do y'all know? I'm in love. All that teen angst stuff. <laughs> and so uh, wound up getting her pregnant. Her parents wound up moving her away to Jacksonville, Florida, as soon as she told her parents. She told me that she had a miscarriage. That's whenever I got worse, uh, whenever she left. I got way worse. I went from 280 pounds during my 10th grade year down to 160 pounds by the beginning of my 11th grade year. So I dropped over 100 pounds in three months. In that three months, uh, I was drinking, smoking, and I started using cocaine at that time. And I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of awesome. And I was young and kind of dumb. And my grades started dropping. And I really just started not to really care about school or anything other than skateboarding and drugs and getting drunk. I got me a little job at a, at a movie theater there in Hobbs. I met another girl and she was a sweetheart. She was totally against marijuana. And I didn't tell her about the cocaine use because I just figured, well, if she's against marijuana, she's definitely gonna be against cocaine. So I didn't tell her about the cocaine, but she was okay with drinking. She did not know the extent of my drinking. It was every day and I would wake up in the morning and I would drink usually a bottle of Hot Dam or Mad Dog 2020 just to get my day going. Then I'd go to school. I'd usually go to my first and second period. And then I'd skip third period through the end of lunch. And then fifth period, I would go back totally obliterated, do my fifth and sixth period, and then skip seventh period because that was another elective. And I stayed like that all the way through my junior and senior year. And how I graduated, I have no clue. I think they were just so ready to get me out of there. Yeah, I wound up graduating. That girl and I, I wound up moving out of my parents' house whenever I was 16 into this guy's house that I had met at work. I quit. Well, I had gotten fired from the movie theater, so I had started working at Long John's. I had met a guy there. He let me go stay with him. He was 26, and so I started living with him, uh, still using, and then that girl and I, we started college in Portales, New Mexico at ENMU. She and I started living together. We were about 18. This was in 2008. 
every night we were drinking and she became kind of cool with me smoking pot and that was because I just acted a fool. I really wasn't cool with drinking at that point anymore. I really slowed down on the drinking. That was more her thing. I was like, well, I don't want to drink. I want to smoke pot. And if you can drink, then I can smoke pot. But then I was still also drinking, but not as much. So she was cool with me smoking. Not very much at all, though. I, I could only have like a gram a week but I can only smoke at certain times. And if I broke that, it'd make her mad and we'd get into huge fights. I found out that my ex really didn't have a miscarriage. She had just lied to me because her parents had told her to do that. And so I found out that I had a three-year-old daughter in Florida. And so for her third birthday, that girl and I went to Florida, went to go meet my daughter for the first time. You know, it was hard on me because this, that whole time I didn't know that I had a daughter. It was hard on that girl because we found out that she had endometriosis. She couldn't have kids. She and I had been trying once we found out that she had endometriosis. And then I also had a daughter from my ex that messed her up. Um, and then our relationship just went downhill from there. We went back to Portales and it was maybe like two weeks after we had left Florida, I wound up moving back to Texas with my parents. And I stayed there with them for about two months and I was steadily trying to get back with that other girl from Portales, but uh, she just wasn't having it. So I wound up joining the National Guard thinking well, this will help get her back. Like she'll see that, that I'm uh, trying to buckle down and, and be serious, be a man. And yeah, that still didn't even help. <laughs> <laughs> that actually pushed her farther away. So I went to the National Guard, uh, went to boot camp or basic training as the army calls it. Did my AIT, I got home, went to my first unit and there was a bunch of old people at that unit. Actually, it was a real, I only had five people in my platoon or in my, yeah, it was, it was a platoon, I guess. I mean, it was, it was real small. It was more like squad size. Um, it was a real crappy MOS, but I wound up not liking that job. I didn't like the people that I, I was there with. They were all old. I had been trying in Hobbs to get into the National Guard, but I could not pass a UA there. But once I was in, in Texas, then I was like, well, I can I can transfer over to Hobbs. So I, I transferred over and I knew all those guys in that unit because I had already seen them all before from trying to get in over there. They were a great group of guys. Uh, They're all young, all my age. And then partying just became like an everyday thing. I hung out with those guys all the time. It was always drinking and drugs. I would show up to formation just totally obliterated. I don't know how I made it. Just really good friends with a bunch of the, uh, the sergeants and the lieutenants and stuff. And then I found meth. I started doing meth while I was in Hobbs. I was about 21, 22. I quit doing cocaine. Then once I started doing meth, I lost a lot of weight. I got down to like 140 pounds and I became a total shitbag. The only way I made it through the military was 
I was just friends with those guys and I would show up, do my job. And I was, I was a good guy. I was a good soldier and I always did everything that they asked me to, but I was always high or drunk and they knew that I had a problem and they always tried to get me help. So they started sending me to Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous trying to get me help. It didn't work. I never took it seriously. All I wanted to do was get messed up. Well, I joined in 2009 and then I deployed in 2012 to the Sinai Peninsula and that is in Egypt, the Horn of Africa between Egypt and Israel. So over there, we were allowed to drink quite frequently. It wasn't an everyday thing, but we were allowed to drink. And then I met a guy that I deployed with. He was a heroin user. And so once we got over there, we started having heroin delivered to the front gate. Since we couldn't drink, all the time that's what we would do we would use heroin so that became a thing so for a whole year over there it was either heroin or drinking whenever we weren't out on an op which is an outpost for 21 days if we were back at the uh the fob we were uh, we were getting fucked up fast forward a year come home i start using heroin more and more i started using meth a lot drinking every day, weed every day. I became a manager at a restaurant. Like the first day I got back, I met this guy. He walked up to me and he said, where's the drugs at, man? And I said, hey man, you can't be talking like that. You're gonna get me fired. I was like, go sit down and I'll go over there and talk to you in a second. So I go and talk to him and he's like, hey man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get you in trouble. And I was like, oh, you're, it's all good, man. I'm, I'm actually glad you came up and talked to me because I've been looking for something, you know. And so I, I started using heroin with him. He actually, he's still one of my best friends to this day. Uh, he's actually in recovery now. At the time, we just started just using everyday heroin, meth, drinking. He wasn't much of a drinker, but I would twist his arm and make him drink with smoking weed. I got in trouble with the law and I was still in the National Guard. They told me, uh, we've we've known that you've had this problem this whole time, so we're gonna we're gonna take it easy on you. You just do what you need to do and and uh, we'll just make it look like like you're just you're hiding out. They were real lenient on me. All those guys were my friends. So they, they really took care of me. So I wound up going to prison in 2017. I got my discharge papers from the military in prison and it said that I had an honorable discharge, which I was so lucky. I was, I was so fortunate to have that happen because I get uh, benefits from the VA. I don't know how I've gotten so lucky. Well, once I got home, of course I had to go to AA. So I've pretty much been in and out of the rooms of AA and NA since 2000, 2011, once I really started having a problem before the deployment. And then um, really last year is whenever I, I started trying to kill myself um, a lot. I had a lot of suicide attempts last year. None of them ever worked. My mom wound up passing away in 2020 from cirrhosis of the, of the liver. She used pills. Uh, she would take pills. She wound up passing from cirrhosis of the liver. 
And then after that is whenever I started trying to commit suicide. One of the girls that I grew up in Big Spring with, bless her heart, I got into a relationship with her after my mom passed and uh, I was so just broken and just messed up in the head and always trying to kill myself and toxic. And then she she also had problems. I'm not going to speak on them, but, um, you know, we, we were bad for each other. We uh, drank every day to oblivion. We would use crystal meth with each other. Anything that we could get our hands on, we would do. And then since we were so toxic, we would just fight and fight and fight, break stuff, use together. You know, if it was good, it was good. The relationship was good. We loved hard, but then we also fought hard. There's a whole story on that. I really don't want to talk on it too much, but um, she's a very good person and I love her very much. She still struggles with alcoholism. You know, all I can do is just pray for her and, and hope and wish and pray for the best for her. And this disease is real. You know, since I've been in recovery for the last four months, I've had one relapse. My girlfriend or, well, my ex, a uh, couple months back, she said she was going to kill herself. So I left sober living and I drank two beers and I went and found her. Whenever I found her, she uh, had drank a bottle of whiskey and downed a bottle of pills. And I spent the whole day with her holding her hair while uh, she vomited. You know, I looked around and I was disgusted by what I seen, you know, not by her, but just, you know, I could have I could have easily went back down that rabbit hole and I could have um, picked up right where I left off. But I, I looked at the whiskey bottles and I was just disgusted. You know, I was like, I need help, you know? And I wanted to get her help too. Since we're not married and I don't have insurance on her, I couldn't put her through rehab and I wanted to so bad. I tried to get her into like state funded facilities and well, she wound up not going that route. Right now, we're not together. I love her to death, I love her to pieces. I wish she would get some help or, or something. She's a good person, but uh, you know, this disease is real. It takes people's lives. It's a long road to recovery and it's a long journey. It's uh, something you have to fight with every single day. It's not something that most people just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm done with it. That's it, that's the end. And you know, a lot of people relapse and a lot of people go back and it's always harder to come back from. I've seen it happen. Since I've been sober, or since I've been in recovery for the last four months, I've seen a lot of people relapse and go back and relapse again and go back or relapse and just disappear altogether. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be dark or anything. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And uh, I'm, I'm just very fortunate and, I'm, and I thank God every day and I get up and I pray. I'm motivated to be here. I'm thankful to be alive because 
the way that I was going, I should have been dead last year, the way that I was trying to commit suicide. And then I even tried this year, the way that I found my way to the ranch. I'm pretty lucky, I'm pretty lucky. Thank you very much, bro. Thank you for contributing to the Sober Playground that you helped create. No problem, man. All right, bro. Well, it was really good talking with you. Great seeing you. We'll catch up soon. All right. I love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.